Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews speaks about the Lord Jesus being greater than the angels. And so if he is greater than the angels, then we should definitely take him very seriously that we should really pay attention to who he is and his role in our life. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, he said, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And then in verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? They are all ministering spirits who do perform a service for those who will inherit salvation. However, the Lord Jesus is the one who gives salvation. He is the one who presents it as something that you can inherit, that you can receive as a child of the living God who came and died for your sins to invoke his will, his will being the description of the inheritance that you have received salvation, and all that you need for life and godliness. That is what you have. And the angels are ministering spirits. They perform services for us here on earth. Now, what their service is is, of course, difficult to define because there are so many things that angels have done for humanity throughout the course of history, at least that we know of, that we have documented, and I sincerely believe that they have done so much more than what we have recorded, that it could not be possible to record all that they have done. We can tell that there are many angels, and they have been active participants in the world that we have. They have been participating in our lives ever since the beginning of history here on earth. So what they do is difficult to really define and pin down and say, this is the role of an angel in your life. I certainly cannot say that because it does vary. But regardless of that, one thing that I do know, one thing that I have great confidence in, is that the angels do receive their instructions, their directives directly from the Lord our God, that our God does direct the angels. He gives them instructions and direction and guidance. He does tell the angels, what to do on our behalf for us. And so regardless of what we understand about the angels, he will perform his work through his angels, and they will perform their work as servants for us. In other words, we don't need to be preoccupied with trying to give directives to any angels that may be assigned to us. We don't need to be thinking about that. We don't need to think about our relationships with angels in that context. And while we may not know what they are doing or how they are doing it, they are still doing it, and we don't need to really be concerned about it. It is helpful to understand that they are here, and it is encouraging to know that they are being of service. On occasion, people do have personal interactions with the angels. They manifest 
in various ways, and people get to enjoy that. There are many testimonies with regards to that, and so I'm not going to bother getting into that right now. This is something that other people have done. Throughout the scriptures, though, we do have wonderful examples of the angels being actively involved in people's lives. For example, in Genesis chapter 19, in Genesis chapter 19, there were angels who were sent into Sodom to look for any righteous people who may be there to see if ten righteous people could be found. And if ten righteous people could be found, then the Lord would spare the city from his judgment that he was intending to levy on it. But since the angels were unable to find that many people who were righteous, who were fearing the Lord, because of that they warned Lot and his family to escape, to get out of the city. That was something that the angels did, that the Lord directed them to do. In Daniel chapter 3, we have another very popular example with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who put the young Jewish fellows in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the fire, and it was reported that there was another one there who was recognized as an angel who saved them from being consumed by the fire. And so that was something that an angel had done on behalf of the people, and manifestation of an angel being a servant for us. Continuing in Daniel into chapter 6, Daniel reported that when he was thrown into the lion's den, there was an angel who shut the mouth of the lion. And then further, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 12, as an example, there was an angel who intervened in the life of Peter as Peter was in prison. An angel came and set him free. The Lord sent an angel to set Peter free from prison. Now, this, of course, does not mean that the Lord will always send an angel to take you out of a city before he destroys it. And it does not mean that there will always be an angel who will be sent to deliver you from being consumed by fire in the event that somebody throws you into a fire. And certainly, this does not mean that the Lord is obligated to send an angel to you to shut a lion's mouth in the event that you find yourself in a lion's cage. And he certainly is not going to be required to send an angel to release you from prison either. This certainly is not a mandate of God that angels will have to do these things. These are things that they have done as they were directed by the Holy Spirit himself, and we are the beneficiaries of that service. And so in the context of angels ministering to those who inherit salvation, we certainly can relate to this type of ministry, and we can certainly be very thankful for it. But where he says all angels are not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation, I can't help but think that the angels are not the only spirits who are out there in the world. They are not the only spirits who were created by God who are intervening in our lives. There are the demonic spirits as well, not just what we refer to as the angelic host, but there are also those demonic spirits who follow the devil, who follow Satan, also known as Lucifer. There are also those spirits, the demonic spirits in the world, who could also be servants of God to minister to us. But we normally don't think of them in that context. Again, I do not believe that God created the devil and his angels in the sense that he created angels to be evil. I don't believe that. I believe that he created them with the opportunity to choose if they wanted to serve the living God or if they wanted to live independent lives apart from service for the living God. I do believe that they had that option, 
and that they chose, or at least a third of them as far as we can tell, a third of them decided to reject their role that God created them for, and they decided to go on their own and live their lives trying to be independent of God and find their own meaning and purpose in their own personal lives. But even though they turned away from the Lord, even though they turned away from their role, from what God created them for, that does not mean that he still cannot find a way to make use of them. And I really believe that just as he has found a way to benefit from the decision of Adam and Eve to eat from the wrong tree and cause the entire human race to die spiritually, to effectively fall and have a need for salvation, just as he has benefited from that, I do believe that he is also benefiting from the decision of the devil and his angels to be independent, that he is also able to use them in a way that they perhaps do not understand or they do not want to be used in this way. However, by default, he can still use them for a positive purpose, to be used as servants for us. Probably the best example of this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, what we have is the description of a thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh of the Apostle Paul where he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Again, in verse 7, he says that a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, a messenger of Satan, he's talking about a demon. A demon was sent to him to torment him. And he also says that he asked that this demon be taken from him. The great apostle Paul, a man who has great testimonies of casting demons out of people, has a demon in his life He asks to have it cast out from within him, perhaps not within him, at least from the influence of this demon in his life. I honestly do not believe that a Christian can be demonically possessed. I don't believe that. However, he's asking the Lord, he is trying to get this demon out of his life, the great Apostle Paul, and the Lord says, no. The Apostle Paul failed to get a demon out of his life. He failed to get this demon who obviously had a significant amount of influence in his life. He failed to do that. The Lord wanted this demon in his life. Now, I'm not saying this because I want to encourage you to ask the Lord for your own personal demon in your life. And, of course, perhaps you may need one given all the incredible revelations that are great, that surpass that which is great. Greatness of revelations, you probably have received many of them, and so to go along with them, perhaps you need a demon in your life to beat you up and to torment you, so that you don't ever lose sight of the fact that these are revelations of God, 
and not use them as a means of building up your own personal pride. Look, I'm not encouraging you to ask the Lord to pray for your own personal demons. In fact, out of a sense of being extremely religious, some people might even ask for two. Lord, just send me two. Paul got one, and so I want more in order to really make sure that I don't try to exalt myself to make sure that my own personal pride doesn't get away from me. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm not suggesting that this is necessarily a good thing for anybody. However, I do trust that if the Lord decides to do that in your life, or if he decides to do that in my life, that that will be a good decision. And I certainly do not want to suggest that the Lord makes poor decisions. Instead, what I want you to understand is that the Lord can make use of them to serve you, even though they may believe, the demons may very well believe, that they are causing harm to you, they still can be used by the living God for his own purposes. And one of the important purposes that I believe he can use the demons for is to condemn you. That is what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about condemnation, that a spirit, a demon, an angel, was intervening in his life and condemning him. That was the role that this demon had in Paul's life was to condemn him. Condemn him for what? Well, condemn him for his sin. Now, this certainly is not the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may convict the world of sin, but that doesn't mean that he is going to convict his people or his children of sin. There's no need for him to do that. To convict somebody of their sin does nothing but remind them of their sin and cause them to think about how wicked and evil they truly are, so that they might believe that the Lord their God is disappointed in them, or he's not pleased with them. That is the act of condemnation, and the ministry of condemnation was established by the Lord as the Old Covenant, that through the law, you can certainly live a life of being condemned, because certainly no one can live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, and so the devil can use that and be right there with you in order to condemn you by using the law that was given through Moses, or he can use any law for that matter. He can use some of the laws that you believe in, the ones that you have created that do not correspond with the laws of Moses. Those are fine. He can use those too. The ministry of condemnation, the service of condemnation, has to do with condemning a person for their sin, and the purpose of that is to take them away from the love of God. That is the effect of feeling condemned, of feeling ashamed, of feeling guilty. And the demons may certainly believe, and it is true, that if they can get one of God's people to feel or believe that the Lord is disappointed in them, or disgusted with them, or he is not accepting them, or he does not love them, then certainly you can paralyze a believer very effectively by a deception such as that. Because if that's true, well, then you're going to have to do something in order to get right with God. And there is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that you can possibly do. And so you will forever be separated from the love of God, at least until the point where you realize that he does not hold any of your sins against you. And this certainly is true because of the cross, because of the complete forgiveness of sins. Now, I do not believe that anyone really knew that any better than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew and understood very well that he was completely forgiven because of what Christ Jesus did for him. Because of the cross, because of the crucifixion, 
the Lord Jesus provided for the propitiation for sins so that he would hold no one's sins against them ever again. I really believe that the Apostle Paul knew and understood this very well. But in the midst of this understanding, it still does not take a whole lot for a person to be reminded of sins that they are perhaps committing right now or sins that they have committed in the past. It's easy to be reminded of that. And when that happens, then a struggle occurs. We then have a struggle where we wrestle with these issues. We struggle with these issues and we wonder, does our God truly love us? And there are two ways to go. One way, certainly, is to believe the lie that will be perpetrated upon us by the demons. Believe the lie that we are not loved by our God, that he does not truly forgive us as he claimed, that he still holds some of our sins against us. We can believe that, and if we believe the lie, then we will be in bondage because of our belief in the lie. Or we can believe the truth, that the living God truly does love us completely and perfectly, and we can be at peace and we can rest in that. There is a struggle that occurs, and I sincerely believe that there is great benefit in the struggle. Great benefit in the struggle. It's a wonderful thing to have this struggle because it is in the midst of this struggle that we truly grow to understand the love that our God has for us. As we wrestle with the issues of our own sins, as we wrestle with the issues of our own failures, and as we grow to understand how much he truly does love us and what he has truly given to us, we can really begin to appreciate more and more our God as a person in our lives. And we can truly embrace him in a greater way for who he is. And his power is perfect in these weaknesses, in these moments of weakness. His power is made manifest in the midst of this because we recognize fully and completely that we have no power, that while we may know a lot, while we may have great insights, while we may have great understandings, and we may be able to compare ourselves with so many other people who are in our lives and think that we are greater than them and think that we have great power in comparison with them, But the truth will always remain that the power of Christ Jesus is his power. It is not ours. And we must depend on him always and in a greater way. You know, before I wrestled with the issues of my own personal sin, for the Lord to come to me and say, Aaron, I forgive you for your sins. I could easily say, well, that's nice. I really appreciate that. That's convenient. It's not as though I really have a lot of sin in my life that needs to be forgiven anyway. That was my own deception. But I do appreciate it. For him to say, I don't keep any records of your wrongs. It would be easy for me to say. It would be easy as a lost person to just simply say, well, that's convenient. That's nice. It's not as though there are a lot of sins that you need to keep records of anyway. But I do appreciate it. For him to say that he's patient with me. I could say, well, of course you are. Why wouldn't you be? Especially if I look at so-and-so over here or so-and-so over there. You certainly don't need to exercise a lot of patience towards me. It'd be easy for you to be patient with me. Now, I don't think you'd be able to be as patient with those people, but with me it would be easy. It would be easy for me to say that out of my ignorance. Very easy to do that. But now, today, as I have grown and matured in Christ Jesus and I have grown to understand that, 
the seriousness of the sin in my life. I know how wicked and evil it truly is. Because of that, I can truly appreciate His patience for me, and I can truly appreciate His love for me in ways that I could have never appreciated it before. And I sincerely believe that in the future, as I grow to understand His love for me, His sufficiency in the midst of my depravity, that I will grow to understand His love for me in even greater ways. But this is something that I get to look forward to as I continue to live the life that my God has presented before me. But this is a service of the demons. This is a service of the devil to condemn the people of God so that they can grow to appreciate the sufficiency in Christ Jesus even more. I do not believe that God needs the demons to do that. And in many ways, except for this example that I see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I don't really believe that the Lord directly sends demons for this purpose. I don't think he needs to. I do believe that they can do this on their own initiative, with their own belief that they can paralyze Christians this way. Because it's true, they can, and they do. They do paralyze Christians this way. But I don't believe that God has to be the one who intervenes and ensures that they do this effectively. I believe that he is making use, that he is benefiting from the demons performing this service in the lives of his people so that he can use them in order to teach his people more about the love that he has for them. I believe that he is able to use the service of the demons in that context. And so not only are the angels ministering servants, the angels that is of the angelic host, but also the demons, those angels of the demonic host, I do believe that those can be included in the all that is described in Hebrews chapter 1. That all of the spirits, all of them, do have a role in our lives. You know, the day will come when we will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those of us who have been born again of the Spirit, who have been resurrected from the dead, will have a place there in the kingdom of heaven, and we will be there throughout eternity. I really do believe that. But one thing that I do not expect to experience when I am in heaven is I do not expect to experience the devil and his demons. I do not expect to be condemned when I am there in heaven. I do not expect that I will be reminded of the sins that I committed when I was here on earth. I honestly do not expect to be condemned or reminded of such things. And so when I am in heaven, I often wonder how will I continue to grow in my maturity in Christ Jesus by discovering more about how he loves me. How will I truly grow to understand his love more in comparison with how I'm able to grow and mature now? How will that happen? It's difficult for me to comprehend that. I honestly do not know what that's going to look like. Because today and here and now, while I am here on this earth, I have so many opportunities to grow to know the love of my God so much more. I wonder what will replace the means by which he teaches me today when I enter into his kingdom and I get to see him personally. I mean, when I do see him, I do believe that I will grow to know him more. I do believe that, but I often wonder what that will look like. And I wonder if I don't get to experience more condemnation down here now. Will I reach a limit? Will I reach a barrier in terms of how much I can grow to know my God? 
because comparing the sin of the world and the sin of his people and the evil of the disbelief that has been perpetrated by the devil, when comparing that with the love of God, I can grow to really understand the love of God so much more by showing the comparisons and contrasting between the two. But when all of that is gone, what will the Lord use in order to really show us and teach us and guide us in our continual lives as we continue to live in a relationship with Him there in heaven? Often I wonder what that is like. And so in consideration of this, I truly do appreciate the life that I have today even more. I truly appreciate it, and I'm very thankful for it. And while I do look forward to the day when I will leave this earth and I will leave this world as it is and enter into his presence, I certainly will be thankful for the time that I do get to spend here because I sincerely believe that through the interactions with the angelic host, with the demons of the demonic host, and with the living God, the Holy Spirit, participating in my life right now, I do believe that in the midst of this right now, while I am here, he will continue to reveal to me more about who he is. And as long as that is happening, I will be thankful for whatever state I am in, for whatever condition I find myself in, for whatever circumstances I find myself in. As long as I can continue to grow in a knowledge and understanding of my God and the one who he has sent, I can live a life of thankfulness. With regards to the subject of spiritual warfare, I have done a series of audio programs on this subject, and I would like to encourage you to listen to the series that I did on spiritual warfare. It does describe this subject with much more detail, especially as it relates to the issues of law and grace and how the Lord uses the subject of law and grace in order to reveal himself to us and what we have in him so that we can continue to grow and mature in our relationship with Christ Jesus in a greater way. And so I do believe that this series would be a good follow-up to this program, and I would like to encourage you to listen to it. But until then, I do pray that you will continue to grow in a knowledge and understanding of what you already have in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net